This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. This month, Hate will release their 11th full-length, Arak Gates of Valus, via Metal Blade Records. Arak Gates of Valus is a titanic record that is both organic and dynamic sounding and may well be the finest of Hate's storied career. Purchase your copy now at metalblade.com slash hate. Once more, new record by hate. Purchase your copy now, metalblade.com slash hate. I want to remind you guys that this show is sponsored by Rockabilia. Need to stock up on some of your favorite band merch? Go to rockabilia.com and put some on your wish list. They're the one-stop shop for all your band merch needs. Need to buy a gift for someone and know what bands they're into? Pick up something from Rockabilia. You won't be disappointed with the selection, and you can get 10% off with the code PCJabberJaw. So head on over to rockabilia.com and use the promo code PCJabberJaw and save 10% today. Merch Table was founded by artists just like you. We've slept on floors, played for everyone and no one, broken up, gotten back together, and taken everything we learned along the way to build a group of people who put creativity first so you can play while we work. Visit MerchTable.com to learn more about our merchandising and online store solutions. It's the Metal Sucks Podcast with your hosts, Petter Speich, Brandon Hahn, and Jocelyn Sharp. Metal Sucks Podcast. Hello, friends out there listening land. It is I, your host, Petra Speich, and I'm always joined by... Hi, my name is Brandon Hahn, and you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Mr. Hahn Comedy. And Jocelyn Sharp is out there touring, making people laugh all over Colorado. If you guys haven't seen her, follow her at Jocelyn Sharp, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You want to reach out to me? I'm on Facebook and Twitter at Rise to Offend, Rise to Offend Official, on Instagram this week, guys. One of my favorite guitar players um, in the history of the game, and that's Paul Masvidal, obviously from Cynic, Death, on and on. But we're here to talk about his solo record. It's entitled Masvidal, and it is the EP is titled Mythical, and it is out right now. And you can also find the single for The Spaces as well. Um, we'll play a couple tracks before we uh, get to that interview, guys. Very fun chat about art and life and us as fans. Let's talk about some of the Metal Sucks news. Some of the stories this week... And a little political tinge that we want to talk about. We don't really go the political tinged route, but uh, most of the time because we like to, to keep it light and kind of fun for the first part of the show. But this week, there's a couple stories we do want to talk about. First one I did want to talk about is YouTube is taking off all hate speech, all conspiracy theory, all hurtful content from their platform. The main person we're obviously talking about here when the metal community is Vark Vikernix and his hateful... Uh, YouTube channel that he's had for years about white supremacy and whatever else he wanted to spout out there. But the only question I had is like, what took so long for this? I understand the free speech argument that people may have, but like YouTube is a brand. They should be able to say what they put on their channels. Well, right? you just said it yourself. That's the free speech argument. Hmm. You know, it is, you do tend to walk a thin line because what happens when somebody else starts going off on white folks. Are they going to step in and drop that? Are they going to step in and cut that off? I mean, like it just, it, when you, when you pick a side, which they clearly did. Well, it said hate speech. I don't want to say against white folks or against, but I'm just folks. saying if it's hate speech, 
But that's and we know getting, what that is. Right. If it's hate speech, we know what that is. And honestly, I think YouTube was doing the responsible thing. Because here's the thing. It's their brand. You just said it. It's their brand. Mm-hmm. No, but what took so long? Why was it allowed in the first place? I personally think that maybe it just wasn't catching on like it was. Like, you know, CBS is a network. It's their brand. And, and I can say yeah, there's YouTube TV now. But we can say that it is the internet TV channels are like networks at this point. So what took so long for you guys to be like, hey, we shouldn't have white supremacists saying videos on our brand? Like, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm the one that because I'm not a YouTube guy. I never watched that stuff. I never been kind of a part of that world that I never really knew that there was hateful shit on there. Right? Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that, to be honest with you, that it's it's been this long into the game. Maybe it's because and I, I and I get the free speech thing, and I like the free speech thing, and I like the fact that. You should be able to say whatever's on your mind, no matter how ignorant or stupid it is, and let an audience find you. But I don't think you should be able to do that on, say, my brand if I owned it. I'd be like, nah, fuck that. I own this shit. That's the difference. You see what I'm saying? If you want to open up your own website and say, I'm going to spew out hateful shit like InfoWars, I I don't want to subscribe to that. I don't listen to it. I'm not even, you know, ever even looked at an Alex Jones video in my life, to be honest with you, because it's a waste of time to me. But I want him to be able to do that. If he wants to, and if people want to jump out and follow him, that's their choice. That's all about our freedom. But again, maybe it's his brand, right? Maybe it's because, again, they probably were taking the freedom of the speech thing. And they were also probably looking at it like, look, dude, we have millions of videos uploaded every single day. We can't police it like like you think we should. It's up to them to like flag it. It's up to the it's up to the viewer to flag it. Mm. I'm just all I'm doing is playing devil's advocate. I personally think it's a good move on their part. I, I agree with you 100% when it's like, look, that's their brand. And when you have somebody going out there like an Alex Jones or like this or Varg fucking dropping all this in, insanely hateful speech, then, yeah, it is up to you or to conspiracy. Or conspiracy. I, I, I feel yeah. there's a big difference between hate and conspiracy, but I feel it's equally as damaging. You know, yes, it's, um, it's misinformation. That's what it is. It's evil misinformation. Yes. You know, because you are not taking into account um, so many things to put that out in the world. But the point is, is, um, I see. I, I disagree with you. I don't think. I think they should be held accountable. Same with like things with Facebook. How people are like, oh, there's people that are videotaping murders on Facebook Live, and Facebook's like, well, we can't react in time. Well, then you shouldn't have put it out there because that should have been part of your process of what do I do if something really, really heinous is put on my site. True. You, that when before you you do something, especially a company that large, you should test it and make sure it doesn't uh, hurt the world in in a certain way and that's the same thing with youtube is like i understand you guys are huge but my deal is the thing is is, but hateful speech i think but my deal but then it's censoring it's i understand the fine line that's what i'm saying it's censoring it's censoring it's like i get it but this is such a it's such a difficult topic to cover because it's like yeah you want i don't like seeing it i hate the fact that it's out there but my deal is, is if you're one of these people that's like, it's free speech. I don't care what they say. YouTube is wrong. Well, dude, you could go to their website. If you want to, if VAR, VAR can start up his own website and spew his own bullshit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there, there are other players and stuff that he can use to be able to, to upload his bullshit. I might have the simple mindset here, but it's, it's really not hard. If you don't want that shit in your life, then ignore it. And just don't listen to it and let idiots be idiots. Let them take their own path and journey. Like I, I like I said, I, I'm not a YouTube watcher. I'm not a InfoWars watcher. I know these things exist because media blasts it at you. So I know because they get negative press. They sell the hate. 
to the public so the public can get upset. Well, all that does is make that grow, right? That's kind of how the, the process works and all. But, you know, if you ignored it and you didn't give it press and you weren't publicly saying, look at this idiot, then guess what? It wouldn't succeed on any level. That's the thing that I argue with. So yeah, platforms like YouTube shouldn't give someone that, you know, should never have. So it's weird that when they came up with this idea, they thought, hey, maybe we should not let this on here. The thing is with Facebook Live is it started off with good intentions, just like the internet. And then the wrong people got their hands involved and then it turned evil. That's how it always works. YouTube is the same way. Now, when it comes to why it took this long, I don't know that answer. I really don't know that answer. But at the same time, though, what happens if it's if you want to go Google a hate group and then Google all of a sudden pulls that off their directory? I mean, it's like, is that what's going to start happening now? You get what I'm saying? Like if Google. I mean, that's that's Google's call. And I'll right. tell you something right now. I don't see really a reason why that shouldn't be allowed. Is that anti-free speech? If Google doesn't want to direct you to a hateful thing? It's, that's their platform. Right. That's what I'm trying to say. That's what I'm saying. If yeah. these hate groups want to go do grassroots DIY, pass out flyers and people get to them, fuck them. Let them do it. Freedom of speech, whatever. Like most people will ignore them. It's this not face-to-face -face interaction of finding people and having this fake uh, world, you know, or a fake world. Well, it is a fake world, I guess. But this fake fucking ideology that's done through these emails, which is not the real world. It's different. And you're it's right. It's different. And so with that, I, I really do think, no, it's okay if Google's like, what, this is a hate group? I'm not going to direct you there because it's Google's product. If they're like, no, we want to direct you to whatever because we want freedom of speech to be intact. That's cool. You know, it, it's their thing. Again, for me, I personally, if I had a platform like Google or like YouTube, I would have addressed that a long time ago and be like, look, right. I'm not going to direct anybody here i don't even want a 15 year old kid to hear this message from my platform i don't want them to google it and be like let me find out about hate no that's me i think that there is a a, a part to this internet culture that we have that responsibility and you know it should, right. should lie on on your brand yes and, on on your and that's the worst setup. part about it that's the yeah. worst part about it this misinformation that's being put out is the direct result of why it seems like everything is crumbling around us. You know, it's this misinformation, all this hate, all these fingers being pointed. It's because of things like Google. It's because of things like YouTube that have not put the kibosh on certain things. Now, granted, that may, that might make me sound kind of like a socialist. I No, I, I do see your point on that. I guess what I'm saying is that an ownership of what you're making money on, you know, on a on a certain way, I guess, that can cause people harm. Maybe there's a responsibility to the public and the consumer. That's all. Well, in some you too took, took those liberties. Yeah, they, 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 they did the right thing now, but I mean, all that stuff. But the point is, is, I guess, say we started YouTube and we were some sort of tech geniuses or something like that. It seems to me that question would have been answered a long time ago. Like when you look at certain social media things like um, there's certain ones, like if you take an Instagram where you can't show nudity or something like that, there's a, a, a different compass than say a, a Twitter, right? Where you can pretty much show anything, I think, right? Like it's pretty much just pretty like much. Yeah. Anything. Right. Um, but I know Twitter now took things to get info wars and certain conspiracy things off. So I don't want to sound misinformed on that too much. But the point is, is that there's an R rated and there's a G rated and there's a PG 13 rated and all that stuff type thing. And as the 
person that creates that, you should have some obligation to be like, look, who is my audience? Mm. Are we don't give a fuck? Are we just going to live and die by freedom Especially of speech? Especially when billions are using your product. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's, it's, and it, it's, at that point, it, is, it gets out of hand. If it started off with no hate speech and no conspiracy theories, think about it at this point. Billions would still use the product. It just wouldn't have to have this reversal. Right. That's all. So anyways, interesting, maybe boring conversation. <laughs> I don't know. No jokes there. Uh, next thing we want to talk about, uh, also don't want to bag on people too much, but David Graham of Disturbed said something that rather it bothers me, and it's towards Roger Waters, of course, of Pink Floyd and uh, his solo career and many things, a uh, icon of the music world without question. And this is what he said. Um, and this is in regards to... Um, Roger Waters' boycott to perform at Israel. And I'm going to read a quote that David Dradom said in its entirety. And so hopefully you guys can kind of get it because I, I feel like he might be going somewhere and then he just completely loses it with the uh, nonsensical speech at the end. To a latter, um, This is what Draymond said about his views on artists who boycott Israel. To elaborate a little bit on it, besides just my aggressive stance against it, the reasoning that no matter what side of the fence you sit on politically and look, I don't think anybody in any country always agrees with everything their country does. I don't, but I'm a very, very strong supporter of Israel forever and for our people. And regardless of whether it's Israel or anywhere else, boycotting an entire society and an entire people based on the actions of its government is absolutely ridiculous and it doesn't accomplish anything. Let's pause there before we get to I the next I agree with that. I, I don't know if I agree fully with that because the government can... If there is a, a, an area that has uh, an internal conflict between governments and people and religion. It's that area. That is, that is a very strong area to have that. And you don't want to go perform in fear of that gathering having some sort of violent conflict. That's not a negative connotation. It's, it's a safety thing for people that might love your music. You, you, okay, you got that's, a good that's point. from but my what side. I, but what ahead. I am what seeing yeah. is music can bring people together. There are enough Palestinians and enough Israelis that want to find that middle ground. They want peace. They don't hate each other. And when you have a, and when you put something on like a concert, like a mute, like that just can just bring people together and you show the world that look, look at this message that we're sending that has, that's so powerful. And it's like, and then for you to rob those people of that, it definitely shows that you're not. Um, you're taking a hard stance against the people as well. You're not just taking a hard stance against the country. You're also taking a hard stance against the people, the, the, the people that actually do believe in your message of peace, but you're basically giving them the middle finger saying, I'm not going to waste my time with you. That's a very fair viewpoint. And I'm not disagreeing with you or you're taking kind of the side of David Draymond. I do remember a boxing story, if I may. It was during the conflict in, in Ireland when the NRA and IRA, IRA were having their issues. Anyways, when a boxer was coming, uh, Barry McGuigan was fighting and he was a hometown boy and they stopped fighting for that day and you had them intermingle during his fight, you know? And what ended up happening is that for one day there was peace because of a boxing match, you know, in this country. And then the war just clicked right off after the fight. Everything went back to normal. But on that day, nothing happened. There was something that was brought together to show the world and the people of that country, Protestant or Catholic, that we, we can unite on something, even if it was you know supporting a hometown boxing guy during the time. So 
I do see your viewpoint on that. I do see that what you're saying there. However, from the artist's side, if they don't feel comfortable with that, should they be vilified? I don't think they should be. That's a tough question. Mm. I mean, that's a tough question. It depends on where you're from. If you're if you're a Palestinian living in Israel, you're like, hey, wait a minute. You know, like, why can't you come visit me? You know, if you're an Israeli that also wants peace and you're looking at that and you're like, hey, wait a minute, that's that's not cool. But I get the idea of I get I understand why he's vilifying Roger Waters. I get it. But I don't think it's the right move. I think there's a I think there's a better way because it's not necessarily what he's saying right now. This part of what he's saying right now, I have no problem with. No, and we're, we're going to get to the second part. Yeah. That's why I split it up on purpose. Because yeah. I feel a lot of people, especially in the media um, these days, artists that, you know, they they're trying to say something smart and then they try to end it with something really stupid to yes. kind of just stop their point. And I feel like I see where he's coming from in the first part. So we're going to give him a little bit of credit. Like I said, I'm not here to, to gouge some dude, right? Um, so the second part that we will get to right now, this is what he said after that thought process. I mean, you had different opinions on that, but we can both see both sides. So it's a conversation to have. Of I Roger. want to punch you in the face right now. I can feel you. Can you feel energy. my rage? Yes. So continuing on, he said... <clears throat> You can't accomplish anything in terms of trying to create peace. In terms of trying to create understanding by shutting things off. There has been open roads of communication. You build bridges. You don't knock them down. And music and entertainment is the perfect way to bridge that gap. Which That's is something my you point. said. Yeah. And the very notion that... And here, here's the part. And the very notion that Waters and the rest of his Nazi comrades decide that this is the way to go ahead and foster change is absolute lunacy and idiocy. Absolute. So, okay. So, so now you just fucked up. The waters and the rest of his Nazi now comrades. Now you just fucked up. The, we are Stupid. In, we are in an age where the term Nazi is thrown around like it is just something you can call people now, right? Roger Waters is not a fucking Nazi. And he doesn't have Nazi comrades, okay? It's not just disgusting to give that word such a... Such a in, in terms of reality, wrong meaning, you know, but it's also teaching people who continually use that word on a day-to-day basis as a way to get our arguments with people they disagree with, as a way to, to point fun at people. Like what a Nazi is and what the terminology has become for this culture, it, it's disgusting to me. Basically what he's saying, I, I, I have this theory. If you can explain the Palestinian-Israeli conflict in five seconds, it's clear you hate one of those groups, okay? Because you're, you're simplifying it. You're simplifying a very complex situation. And when you go ahead and use a term like Nazi, and you're basically saying that people that don't agree with Israel and the way they're handling it, you're basically saying that the people that don't agree with the way the Israeli government operates, you're calling them Nazis? Fuck off. You just ruined it. You just ruined your whole argument now. You're talking about bringing people together, and now all of a sudden you're going to say, if you don't agree with my stance, you're a fucking Nazi? Get the fuck out of here. You screwed up. I, yeah, no, I completely agree. So as we were talking, the game credit for maybe trying to have his viewpoint, but then the second, the terminology of something so despicable, something so hateful, something the world defeated. The world. The world know, did, yes. Defeated. To be used in this kind of contest or terminology, like it is used in, in modern day culture, is so fucking bothersome, okay? So 
Again, dude, I've I've talked about it many times. That I mean, he could have said anti-Semitic, anything. I mean, he could have said anything, totally but fine. fucking Nazi, dude. I'm fine with if you want to say neo-Nazi or whatever like that. It's a different terminology. Nazis are extinct. Thank you. Moving on, motherfuckers. So much hilarity. So much fun. This oh, show. Oh God, my sides are hurting. We promise next week not to touch the tough stories, but uh, there were there were a couple we just had to talk about this week, I guess. So, uh, with that, guys, let's jump into my interview with Paul Masvidal. Everybody, what's going? On? It's Petter with the Metal Sucks podcast. On the phone, I got Paul Masvidal. And we're here to talk about the new solo EP you just released. It came out May 31st. It's called Mythical. You plan on releasing a trilogy of conceptual mini records with Mythical being the first. I love hearing the concept behind the entire art project. Can you tell us about that? Uh, Well, without revealing too much, because I'm always a fan of the listener having their own subjective experience when it comes to, to art. Um, I think uh, it really just start, it started out as a collection of songs, um, as any record does does for me. It's kind of a curated collection of material that uh, that can go back as far as it needs to to current current time, and and then I kind of figure out what's going on and why all these songs are related to each other, and and this stuff in particular just kind of informed itself it had been going on for a while i had been thinking about these records and doing a kind of intimate uh really like acoustic kind of thing for a while and i didn't know when i would essentially have the courage to do it because you know the uh the thinking was to be as transparent as possible and to do something you know just incredibly honest and and naked and um and that's something that I, I for at least for me, I couldn't really force. I had to just authentically enter that space in order to kind of produce it. And um, so it was a it was a journey of just kind of unraveling and disassembly and um, and and you know, in some ways reclaiming my my space and kind of coming back home as a songwriter after you know the events of twenty fifteen regarding cynic and and my ex-drummer there was just you know a lot of disruption that happened around that and i kind of needed to come back home in a way and just see who i was as a songwriter and what this all meant to me and um so it's uh it's no surprise that this you know there's only a few handful of songs with drums on them because it was really just kind of about that stripping away the layers and finding something, you know, just really without ornamentation, just transparent. And then, then there's these layers that came in with the, obviously with the, uh, with the tones, which was another interesting component um, that became part of the story. But, you know, it's uh, so there's just a lot of layers to it all, but I think that's at its core, what was driving driving the whole process. And I think that I really like what you're talking about with the identity. I feel like if, if the human element of people, when they go through certain things, whether it be a divorce or something like that, and it doesn't even have to be a musical partnership, but there is a, a journey to reclaim your identity 
and step away from your old identity. Did you feel that process happening before these records? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I completely, you know, I had essentially grown up with, with this guy, with Sean, and uh, every musical project I had done since we were children involved him next to me. And um, so it was really the first time I was kind of reclaiming myself without that mirror, without that reflection. And, you know, often in any relationship, uh, this one being, uh, a, you know, a, a creative relationship, um, but, you know, even intimate relationships with couples, you know, if you go through a divorce or a breakup with a partner, you're often trying to figure out who the hell you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the months and years post that situation, because it's, uh, you've, you've kind of wrapped your whole identity around this, this dynamic with this person as your mirror. So it's, it's an unraveling, you know, and it's a re, rediscovery and reclaiming of, of oneself. And that's really what this has been for me. It's kind of, I mean, that's one component of it really is kind of like, who am I? And, what, what am I trying to say and, and what, what's at the root of all this? And, um, and so it's, it's been really therapeutic in that sense, you know, there's a, and that's probably where that healing, you know, component comes in with, with the tones and all that science. It's like, it was almost, it's like therapy. <laughs> Music always yeah. has been therapy, but uh, this is definitely another, another level of therapy <laughs> went, went deep, you know, yeah, dude. No, but that's, I think that's what's so great. That's what makes it genuine is that you can honestly say that too. It'd be like, yes, my identity had to reclaim before my voice was real to give out to the public because of, yeah. you know, your artistic connection and trust that had to start over, which is super, you know, super fair. Cause if you did rush it, I feel like uh, the listeners could have caught on to being like, all right, this is just, there's been other situations with musical bands, if I may, that they broke up and they just throw something out real quick. And you can tell it's almost yeah. like a more or less their, their foot's still in the, in the other door. It's not really, they haven't taken the journey. Right. And They're more reactionary. Yes. Yeah. A reactionary record completely. That's the perfect word. And this is an organic, true, genuine feeling EP, you know? So, that's fantastic news, you know, as a fan of that. And one thing I did really like when researching about the EP at the time is that you did want to put visuals to the songs. Um, can you give an update on any collaborations that you may have in the works or have been working on? Yeah, so so you've, there's been a few videos released mm-hmm. and there's more coming. Um, you know, there's the video for Parasite and for The Spaces, which came out and... Uh, there's definitely more in the works. And uh, I essentially, you know, I got really lucky. I, um, I did a post, like, man, probably a year ago, um, saying I was looking for visual artists. And I posted on all the social media stuff, saying I'm making some, 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 make some new music, some acoustic solo stuff, and I'm looking to collaborate with people. And um, I got a lot of emails and a lot of talent came my way that kind of blew my mind but uh this one particular pair of artists uh jonathan martinez and Egraine gray they call themselves graymar kind of a combo of their last last names um it um they just blew my mind i was just immediately resonating with their 
their visual language. And, uh, and, um, it just, I knew at that point, this was, this was the direction in terms of aesthetically, um, where I'd like to go. And then I started to send, send them music and, uh, and they proceeded to send back ideas. And it was just so on point that it was one of those things where I was kind of giggling inside because the synchronicities and the alignments, you know, there was just so many interesting things across the spectrum of from numerology to dates to, to colors to just like all these things that were floating around in my subconscious in, in the year of working on this stuff suddenly were coming into their collective kind of artistic minds without me even saying anything. And, uh, and, and we just were really, it was an incredible situation where I just knew I was doing, doing the right thing. And, um, it's kind of beautiful when that happens, when you're working on uh, a record, which is purely an auditory experience. And, uh, and then suddenly you're, you know, you're having to think about what this looks like, what this sound looks like. And, uh, and then like when, when that thing looks like what you envisioned or, you know, or even goes beyond it, but somehow captures the sound as an audit, as a visual environment, it's just, it's really feels really good <laughs> to have that. It's a beautiful thing. Does the experience um, uh, make you feel when you write now that you will have a, a visual component for future projects? Do you think, do you think you've learned like, you're like, I always want this addition to what I create? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, cynics always had the, mm -hmm. the language of Bonosa, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, Robert Bonosa is somebody who was like a mentor for me since I was a child, really. Uh, and um, he, and he became part of the visual language of scenic albums, but we never had like a video language. We only had more paintings, more of an organic kind of space. And, um, but yeah, I think we're obviously in a day and age where video goes hand in hand with auditory. It's like they kind of, although I'm still a fan of purely auditory listening, you know, just doing things without looking, just listening. Um, cause we, you know, we do make these records, at least I do in a room, you know, like at the end of the day, I'm listening to the mixes in a room with no lights on, just trying to hear and, and really feel things purely with that sense without having to get into the looking part. But, um, it does seem like it's, a, it's part of the times we're in and, and this is for me exciting. I mean, it's just one of those awesome things to have this this whole visual landscape as part of the language that's, you know, connecting the connective tissue essentially with, with the album, you know, they're really, um, there's a whole trajectory here and, uh, and it'll make sense as people hear, you know, the follow up records as well, because there's, there's three records and it kind of, they all meet and, uh, there's just a whole thing here that's kind of, so I just love that. And I love taking listeners on a journey, you know, and uh, in the way that some of the great bands, Pink Floyd and other kind of classic bands have done where you just, you're just immersed in a, in another reality, essentially with when you hear the music and, 
and sometimes their visual language matches up. It's just so cool and fun to do that and to take take your 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 listeners and audience on this ride with you because it's you know you're just creating a whole world and um, that that part really excites me. So yeah. the the alignment with the artist, yeah, definitely is a good thing. And the right collaborators, like, so it sounds like you did find them for this project, which is fantastic, because that is a struggle for a lot of people that have this visual thing um, and, and, or visual idea, you know, to, to get it right. So when it comes to collaborations, what is key to your intuition with people? Huh, well, it's, I guess it's, you know, beyond seeing things that you like, you have to have conversations with them. And, um, and, and start to kind of connect with people. Um, and, uh, and that was the next step for me with these guys where, you know, um, when I got Jonathan, when we actually spoke, I felt like we were totally vibrating at the same frequency. It was like just effortless, you know, in terms of how we communicated. And, and uh, there was just something there that I could see that he was as committed to his process and essentially as crazy as I am about, about art and uh, about work, about the work. And um, so the fact that he, he, we kind of met each other in that, in that dimension essentially was, that was affirming. Um, I, I also like to put space around these kinds of situations with, um, with collaborations, you know, rather than rushing and just jumping into something without... I, I like to give things space and and meditate and kind of just settle into it a little bit um, rather than be impulsive or, you know, reactionary essentially and just let it fully flush out, which that is something you can't really force. It takes time uh, with relationships. So, so I was really into that idea as well, just kind of creating space and seeing how things unfolded over time and, the more we got in the trenches with this work, um, with them especially, it just it, be, it became more and more clear that this was exactly what you know what I needed to be doing and who I needed to be working with. So yeah, it just time you know time tells you these things as well, or the, the illusion of time. But it's uh, it definitely is kind of an, an inherent part of the process. It's just putting giving some space around these things to, to develop. And space and development. I, I like what we're talking about with with that concept. And last cynic record that we we did you did put out was the 2014. It was kindly bent to free us. Um, and as we know that we're focused on these records that we're talking about right now, your solo stuff. But do you think it will take a long time for you to want to revisit that band and and restart it back up? Oh well, no. I mean, cynic has been an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in the background. I know we haven't had a lot of, uh, online presence. It's been pretty low key and, uh, and quiet. And there's a lot of reasons for that, which at some point maybe I will publicly explain. But, uh, I mean, at this point it's, um, we, we are Malone and I, you know, are communicating regularly and, and swapping files and, we have the the workings of a new record that are there, and uh, and we're working with Matt Lynch, the drummer out of Atlanta. And uh, at some point, 
in, in the next, I don't even know when, but before the end of the year or early next year, we will have a record delivered and, um, and kind of be on that train, um, promoting, promoting a new cynic work. But again, it's cynic has never been abandoned to, to rush things. And, you know, some would argue to a fault, but we've just never been interested in producing things in that way. It's more about just being organic about our process and letting things kind of naturally develop. And, um, and, and really kind of coming back to it in a really authentic and genuine way versus an obligatory way. Um, too many of my friends uh, from early on who found themselves in a situation where they could create a, have a career as, as working musicians ended up just um, more in this cycle of work versus inspired work. And, I, I've always been, uh, afraid of that, uh, not wanting to get into that place where, uh, I'm feeling like I have to be in a cycle versus producing real art that holds up and stands, stands, will stand up over time and, and just have, and have, truly have something to say versus just pumping out things that, you know, because you just, because it's easy for me, at least, to write songs, like something I do every day, or nearly all, you know, every day. But it's like writing and composing isn't the hard part. It's it's really finding the entire thing as what what are you trying to say? What is this? What does it mean? You know, and not not getting too carried away with all of that because that can slow you down as well. But it's just a fine line of trying to produce art that has some meaning and substance and and holds up. And um, so that's kind of what the governing principles of, of a cynic type project. It's, it's ruled by that versus the machine of a business. But I think what you said makes sense, though, because for you to say something new, you have to live, you have to experience, right? And there is that business to the cycle of this is my job for a lot of guys and a lot of bands. So the inspiration when this is my job it gets lost and, and the connections yeah. a little bit lost. So the, the long, the long break or whatever, the long time between the projects because of the art aspect of it, it should have more weight, but do you feel that it, it does hurt a career if it's, you're not part of that business cycle? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it really, it, it really can. I mean, Finnick has had the opportunity to be this highly active constantly touring pumping out records band i mean we have we have that um and uh and i will say that there was the the moment before the the quote-unquote incident of, of 2015 um i was in that mode of just ready to bust out the next record i kind of had the embryos of all the songs everything was rolling 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 and I was in this momentum period and then bam, you know, and uh, so we, we kind of had to deal with a lot of bullshit essentially to kind of put the pieces back together after that. And uh, it was, um, and, and bullshit I'm saying just on a legal level and all these things that were just nonsensically happening as a result of how things were approached. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so it was, but yeah, I mean, it's, it is a, it is an interesting thing where, uh, you know, we just, I think we've always been that way though, since, since we were kids, essentially that we were going to make this, you know, integrity is the root of this project, originality, having something to say, being, you know, coming from a place of being real artists versus just some kind of business band and uh that's that's touring because we got to pay the rent and you know and that like i just never wanted cynic to be that kind of band and um and it's it's definitely had forced us to be more creative outside of in our personal lives because we haven't been able to be reliant on it as a project to sustain us it's um uh and uh but i i at the end of the day you know, all you're left with are these songs, you know, and this body of work. And I, I, I'm still a fan of quantity over, you know, I mean, quality over quantity. Like that to me says everything. It's like just having everything be really good versus just putting things out because you can. And, um, it's, it's just, I, you know, I like the Ravel approach to, to, you know, to having a, like, if you look at Ravel's, you know, body of work, everything became repertoire, you know, it's like the opposite of the Pablo Picasso, who basically puked out everything, every letter he wrote, every signature, he archived everything and created this, like, body of, you know, this, all this fodder for the art industry to talk about. And then every once in a while, he had some incredible moments, but most of Picasso's stuff is kind of junk. And people don't realize that. And, uh, but he somehow transcended it and became this figure. But I think our approach is more rebel where everything is really trying to keep everything at a certain level. So, you know, it, to your detriment, perhaps you don't have as much, um, you know, you're not as, as, you're not producing as much material, but you can count on it being really good. And, um, and this, like for us, for example, this next record, like we're, we're just, you know, we're, we're really making sure it's going to be the best thing we've ever done. So it's, and, and of course that's a subjective thing because everyone has a different relationship to records depending on their own experience. But, um, but it just, for us internally, it has to feel like the best thing we've ever done. And we have to push ourselves out of our comfort zones and go further as artists. So these things take time, you know? to make records like that absolutely no i i think fans like from a fan perspective it, it's a stronger fan base to be a um a cormac mccarthy instead of a stephen king you know and that's what you're saying is like yeah stephen king he put out so much stuff and i'm sure there's some good stuff out there for people that read but as you mentioned there's it's there's so much other stuff that you can tell was just thrown out there and the fan base probably was up and down with that kind of career where when everything you put out you feel reaches a certain level, no matter what the weight, it's appreciated more. So people stay with you longer. Is that, do you feel that's kind of, the, yeah. are you that kind of fan that's in, in general with art, do you think? I, yeah, I am actually. It's true. I definitely, I, I just, you know, as you know, as somebody on social media and whatnot, it, I mean, this is the, the day and age of puking. It's excess. Yeah. Everyone's just it's just garbage everywhere and it's becoming more and more meaningless. So I think, 
the the end result of this is people seeking out stuff that's going to have more substance and meaning because, you know, everyone's a celebrity now. Everyone's, you know, an artist. Everyone's a photographer. Everyone's a, a video maker. Everyone's, and it's just like, what, what does this all mean? Like, where, where's this all leading to? So I think the good stuff is going to eventually rise to the surface in the midst of all this noise. And, uh, so, and I, I personally, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of really quality stuff that, you know, um, comes from a certain space vibrationally and isn't just, you know, an, an, a restless mind processing reality, which is a lot of what the internet is right now. It's just a lot of unstable, unstable people, you know, just like puking everywhere. And, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it is truly, you know, these things, it's a combination of, of all this stuff that we're trying to navigate. And, um, but I, I, yeah, I'm a person personally a fan of art that, that holds up and, or at least, and you really don't even know what will, that's the thing. You can't calculate these things. You mm -hmm. just go in giving it your all and, um, and trying to be as thorough as possible and then just let it go. And that's kind of how I've always approached it. It's just give it everything I have and then let it go. Yeah, dude. Um, I'm the same way with the fan. I always, I, I tell, I tell my lady, I was like, look, there's records that I want, and then there's records like I need this right now, and that's usually the band that takes the long time that I've missed. It's like, oh, I needed this record right after you put it on the on the CD, whatever people listen to, MP3 or whatever, um, and it, it's a different vibe. It's like they've just made your life a better place. They've slowed your life down opposed to yeah. while you're doing chores, you know, and that's that there's only few, you know, it's, it's few, few bands do that for every human being out there, you know, no matter, like you said, it's subjective, but the bands yeah. that are more aware of it, I think always reach me opposed to the bands that are, here's a record every two years, you know? Yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah. I think that that's definitely like, the ideas, and I think on some level we do tune into it, whether we realize it or not. Um, mm -hmm. And like you're saying, it's something you just tune into. So it's it is one of those things where you can't quite uh, put your finger on what it is, but somehow we feel on some level things that we're not going to care about. You know, it's like you know the cheeseburger versus like the 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 most awesome meal ever. Mm -hmm. It's like you know what I mean. It really. I always tell the artists that I go, you guys control our experience. You don't, you're not aware of it probably, but in some way you yeah. control our experience. So when we get your product, we're like, you did this to make, you know what I'm saying? There's a little bit of control from that. Um, opposed. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I, and, uh, it sounds like a powerful thing, but it is a powerful thing. You know, the relationship. It between, is a powerful. Yeah. yeah. And it's our responsibility. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, I feel like, uh, at least for me, as somebody who who thinks about the welfare of others mm -hmm. constantly and is generally kind of thinking about other people, even when I'm in a room or with, with friends or whatever, it's like you feel it's a duty, you know, with, with this work, at least I do, without making it incredibly special. Because I do think, you know, the garbage man is as relevant and purposeful as, as any artist. I mean, we all have our jobs mm -hmm. in the world. We're all doing something that that brings something to the table. It's just, it's just the way that we approach the work that, you know, is how we come into it, that that's what really makes the difference. And, 
as somebody who's producing music, it's, um, you know, I feel this incredible obligation <laughs> to, to bring something not only new to the table, but something meaningful. And, uh, that's going to uh, contribute to someone's experience and, and offer something. I mean, that's, that really, that, that's important to me. Um, rather than just, you know, pumping out the tunes, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a great example used with the garbage man. Cause it's like the want, the need that I was saying, I was like, yes, you need the garbage man, but if he's there all the time, you take him for granted. Same way with art. And you're right. It's the same totally. job. that's super important. But if they're there all the time, you take them for granted. And as yeah. crazy as that sounds, the artist, even though they're putting out more product, they're losing the control of the listener. You know, it's it's a yeah. It's it's a it's a interesting, I guess, just thought that you know that we're we're talking about that right now. But I did want to talk a little bit about the DTA tours, the Death to All tours. I was lucky enough to catch one. Such an amazing yeah. experience for us fans, dude. Um, tell me just a little bit about the origins behind that and the fears of doing that. And how did it all turn out for you to participate in that? Um, well, you know, the origins of, of that tour were basically the idea came from Ian, from Sick Drummer, and uh, Anton. I don't know if you know those guys, but uh, they, they're two guys. I think uh, Anton had worked for for Ian for a bit on different things, doing video stuff. And, uh, and I remember just getting an email or a phone call from Anton one day and he just kind of pitched this idea and, uh, and it totally made sense to me. You know, um, I was just like, wow, this, this makes sense. Um, so it was just one of those things where, uh, I think they were just, genuine fans looking to rebirth death in a way that would honor, honor Chuck's legacy and catalog, uh, and um, employing, you know, original, uh, musicians that worked with the project. So eventually, um, Eric took it over and kind of turned it into a, a touring machine. But, uh, the, the original idea was to just do a handful of dates, and um, and just make it a really special, limited kind of thing, and that's essentially what I participated in. Um, and it was it was really amazing, um, touching. Uh, sometimes felt odd playing death songs without Chuck on stage. I uh, I felt a little weird, and I thought about how Chuck would feel about it. I was like, you know, but then I. You know, you play, you get in front of those audiences, and and for us, we had three quarters of humans, you know, on stage. It was um, there was something there. You know, we captured something, and we kind of, and I realized, you know, what it was like. I went back into early childhood and had this somewhat of a full circle experience of being connecting to those songs and to to Chuck as an artist and. Um, it was really that that part was probably the best for me was just kind of coming back to something that I never thought I would ever return to, you know, ever. I was just like I would never just to kind of re enter that material and and play it. <laughs> and then have someone like, for example, Max Phelps, who I brought in uh to uh to participate 
was pretty amazing because he has this kind of Chuck tone. And there were moments on stage where I would like look and see Max from the corner of my eye. And it was like, it kind of looked like Chuck. <laughs> and like, it was like the way he stood and held the guitar and then hearing his voice was like pretty weird. <laughs> like this is, this is interesting. This feels like I'm having this like time travel experience or something. Like it was really wild. Um, Cause he really kind of held Chuck's energy in a sense with uh, capturing, capturing the, the sounds of his voice and, and the quality and, and Max is an excellent guitarist and he could, he can like cop Chuck's tremolo playing, you know, like his way of picking and stuff. It was pretty, pretty wild. Um, so yeah, I, I was, that was a really neat moment to do that and to honor, to honor Chuck, you know, I still, to this day, I mean, I, I think it, a day or two doesn't go by that someone asks, I get a message or a DM or email or something related to to death you know it's just his he definitely left a mark you know and um and i'm reminded of it regularly which says a lot yeah dude i feel like the songs now as an artist do you feel that eventually the songs belong to the fans because we're the ones that keep it alive we're the ones that keep that oh yeah man so um, totally like like with, yeah. and with Chuck, like what he he put out to the metal community and the fans, and and we like Death is such an important vital band. We've kept it alive all these years. So to be able to experience like that show, it was like for me it was amazing. You know when I saw it. But the point is, is that as a creator of like when we're talking about human and stuff like that, when we talk about that record, it does it feel like it's transcended everybody that was a part of. The, the oh yeah process? i mean i think that's true of any record essentially uh, especially one that ends up translating and communicating with an audience it really no longer belongs to you i mean that's what's so interesting even going through that with the acoustic stuff it was so intimate for me uh this material for so long and uh and and to just kind of enter this space where now other people claim it it's like wow it's no longer mine now it's theirs and not only that but it's it's uh it's that's really when it becomes finished that's when you've mm-hmm. realized the work it's like the these this material isn't really done until it's shared and claimed by the audience that's when it's that's when it's finished and uh so it's um it's fascinating to have that experience and yeah, those records like Human and even Focus for me, it's almost like a past life that took on a life of its own. And now it just lives in its own world. And I kind of have nothing to do with it anymore. I was just an instrument, you know, translating some music to kind of cop a vibe and put this document into play. But it's really the audience brought it to life. The audience made it real. The audience, you know, created this art with us you know and that's that's the beauty of of music you know it's really it is a collective thing um i think bowie said that or something like your songs aren't finished until they're shared there was some quote of his i read a long time Mm ago it totally makes sense you know it's like i think that's the the beauty of uh of being a fan too is that you help bring that collective experience around to the artist 
you know, like, like you just totally. Said. And so that's, it's, it's so symbiotic and we're so connected without ever speaking or knowing just because we use that sense of listening, you know, and that's, yeah. that's the, the hardest thing for a lot of generations and people as individuals is the simple thing of listening. Like listening is a very hard lesson for us all. And the fact that we want to, you know, listen and you want to create and give us something that we want to listen to. It's untouchable in a spiritual well. Yeah. It's untouchable, you know, and that's, that's the, the DTA tour or, you know, just that experience for me. And I know there's other fans that experienced it too. It it was like that, you know, and, and all that. So man, it was a, it was a real, real fun chatting about just, I guess, you know, the connection of, uh, fans and, and artists and stuff, but I want to let everybody know one more time, guys, make sure you pick up mythical. It's out right now. It's, it's your first solo EP first music that you put out since 2014. And we should expect a couple more this year. As you said, make sure you guys check out the visual aspect and the collaboration, the whole thing. Um, just really happy to get this, this EP out, man, I got to tell you, and really, really lucky to promote it. Cause I'm such a fan of it. So uh, with that, oh, thanks, Peter. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. So, um, and with that, Paul, thank you so much, dude, for calling in here to the Metal Sucks podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me, brother.
All right, guys, and we are back. The first song is off the record, Mass Vidal, Mythical EP. That song is called Into the War. Second song kind of rolled right into. You guys can find the video for that one is Parasite. And then the last song we played is the song that Cynic released uh, about a year, year and a half ago. First one in four years, and that is Humanoid, guys. Also available as a single. If you guys dug that song, definitely pick that up. And with that, again, we want to thank everybody out there for the five-star reviews we get all the emails. We can't answer all of them, unfortunately. I've been doing it via the computer, but we can't discuss them all on the show. But I still want you guys to write in and, and tell us all these things. We've had so many people ask for more lists of music, and I will get to some of those, I promise. Um, but the uh, communication, guys, it really means the world to us. I want to thank you guys out there a lot. And if you guys are upset with our earlier conversation, bring that. We can discuss that. Any, anybody in the show can discuss that with you via the email as well because we are all about an open ground and all that stuff. What's so, the email again? Got to yell it out. Rise to offend at gmail.com is the email you can get me directly. And if you haven't checked out our, our uh, other podcast, Rise to Offend, it's a documentary podcast. As we mentioned last week, we're doing Married with Children three-parter because there's so much good shit there. But with that, guys, until next week. The Metal Sucks Podcast is signing off. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.